Hey everybody, Chris Fafalius here. If you enjoy One Hit Thunder, which I'm assuming you do considering you're listening to it right now, I want to tell you about another great music podcast on the Evergreen Podcast Network. It's called Riffs on Riffs. On this season of Riffs on Riffs, hosts Toby Braswell and Joe Watson are breaking down one iconic pop song each week. Everything from Taylor Swift's Cruel Summer to Journey's Don't Stop Believin' to Naughty by Nature's OPP. Each week, they crack open the song, trace its history, decode those cryptic lyrics, and unearth the hidden gems in its musical DNA. Not only do they dive into the song's history, lyrics, and impact, they also go down some fun and oftentimes hilarious rabbit holes. So yeah, if you're a fan of One Hit Thunder, I think you'll also enjoy Riffs on Riffs. So go hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. Saturday morning, jumped out of bed and put on my best suit. In 2013, the radio waves were dominated by the reggae fusion sounds of Toronto, Ontario's very own Magic. After years of their lead singer Nasri writing songs for pop stars, he formed a band for his biggest hit yet, Rude. This week, I'm joined by one of my oldest friends, Tony Hartman, to discuss if Magic brought the one-hit thunder, or if they're just human too. Hey Tony. What's up, Chris? How you doing? Uh, um, I'm not that great. Uh, do you want to talk about Rude by Magic? I think we should absolutely talk about Rude by Magic in these trying times. Yeah, uh, you know, if, if someone's listening to this episode in the future, um, right now we are recording this episode while under what I guess you would call quarantine during the coronavirus, aka COVID-19 outbreak in the United States. I think we're at a peak of it at, at the moment. I believe that something like 4,000 people died yesterday. Jesus. So, you know, what what better time to talk about <laughs> rude by magic than uh right now which i say that jokingly but in in actuality like as much as we should be vigilant and pay attention to what's going on we also need to give our minds a little bit of a rest now and again and this is certainly a way to do that right and i mean i think it'd it'd be remiss not to congratulate whoever is listening to this in the future like congratulations you made it hopefully we made it and, you know, we can look back to, I don't know about better times, but simpler times when summer 2014, the biggest song in the world, from what I recall, was was Rude by Magic. Was it the summer of 2014? Because I have a lot of 2015 memories attached to this song, but that was maybe just the lasting effect of Rude in my life that uh, that takes me back to, to a better time. To uh, You know, there were a lot of things... I felt like throughout my whole life, I have um, always looked to the future as like, okay, this next year is going to be the best year yet. And just things are just always getting better and better. And like 
feel like for the first time that I'm looking back very fondly on years like 2014 and 2015 and being like, oh, those were the good old days. Oh, um, yeah, absolutely. But, I mean, you know, you know, I'm a 2015 head, yeah. probably a top three year easily, not just for me, probably for the world. I think where 2014 suffered was, you know, culturally it was sandwiched and literally like it was sandwiched between 2013, which from a music standpoint had so much cool shit going on. And then you had obviously summer 2015. We're looking at The weekend, I Can't Feel My Face. We're looking at Trap Queen, which actually came out. uh, I I went down quite a rabbit hole of like all these singles from this time period. You had Trap Queen, you had Hotline Bling made its debut. So, you know, 2013, you had, you know, Love Em or Hate Em, you had Yeezus was was a cultural staple. You had, I think Pharrell had like 15 like top singles uh, across like multiple genres at that time. Summer 2014 was a very challenging time culturally. Like I remember so much about that time period, except like 2014 is kind of a wash for me. I remember like the World Cup being really popular. I remember LeBron came back to Cleveland, which was kind of like all I needed culturally at that time. But somehow through some back channel of culture, Rude by Magic was slipped in as like the song of the summer. And I, you know, I do remember, I think, texting you about it at the time and being like, hey, like, you heard this song Rude that's on the radio. I don't think you had at the time, but like, I was pretty pissed off that like, it existed for one. And like, I, I remember the first time hearing it being like, okay, like, it, you know, it's really strange that like, there's this new song in the radio that has this like, sort of like 311 energy to its intro, and then gets kind of like, for lack of a better way to describe it, it felt very like mariachi cowboy as it goes. Like it feels like a poor man's UB40. Yeah. Or like, I don't know what this band sounds like, but what I always imagined Los Lonely Boys sounds like was like the chorus of this song. And I was just like, how is this happening? Like, you know, in tandem, I think some of the more popular stuff at that time was like, you had a uh, chandelier by Sia, which is I think still an amazing song. Um, you, and then somehow we also let Chris Brown noted abuser, Chris Brown had a smash single at the same time. So maybe like people were just looking at, at summer 2014 as such a wash from the music angle that like, it was just like, we need something so sterile that, and so uncontroversial that, you know, someone was able to sneak this, this single rude into the charts. But I did do some diligence even back then to like try to make sense of it through like industry connects and whatnot. And I do remember like someone pretty explicitly saying like, that wasn't like there, there was someone at whatever label they're on. That's like, we don't have a summer smash, like pop rock hit. We have this dude that has written for like Bieber and a few other people. He's, he's got a band and they have this song. Let's just make this happen. Because I think this is another case too, where like it's predecessor trap queen it actually came out probably like nine months before it, it hit. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. And that the song does, the song sounds like a bunch of record label executives got in a room and like, we need to make a summer song. Who could yeah. make this summer song? Where is it? We're going to put a bunch of money behind it. It's going to be the most, it's, it's going to, it's going to really just 
cover all the bases of everything sterile about music. <laughs> yeah, but about music in like the early 2000s, I think it's the timing that made the least sense to me because like I said, that that first verse comes in and it's arguably pretty underwhelming. It has like kind of like the, the upstroke guitar and the least charismatic singing. Like he's a fine singer, but like there's nothing memorable about his voice. Like it could be a 311 song. And then you get like that, like kind of orange count. Remember when like every band in the early 2000s had that like orange County drums and percussion snare sound. Yeah. (laughs) And then people thankfully just kind of stopped having it. Like here's rude to bring it back. (laughs) And like, I'm surprised, like, you know, like if you break down the instrumentation, they didn't use like a real, like high treble, like Ernie ball stingray bass or anything to like really bring it home to that time period. But breaking it down part by part, it doesn't make any sense. It, like you're saying, it does sound like a, a panel of like experts from like major label music of the early 2000s sat around and like laid it out part by part like that. I think the pre-chorus, like the actual hook, the like why you got to be so rude part is kind of awesome. Yeah. And I think if the rest of the song was more like that, it could work, but then it, yeah, it goes into that like mariachi cowboy chorus that feels more like a SNL skit than a, a pop rock single at that time period to me. I mean, the the, the thing which I talked about and on other other episodes, I believe I talked about this about the band SR seventy one too was like for me personally, and I know that like basically it comes down to the sonic quality and sound of a song. It doesn't matter right what, what the story behind the the band is necessarily it's just how does this sound how does this hit people's ears how are people relating to this is what matters to the average person but to me it's like who is this band <laughs> like and i'm not just talking about myself yeah sure i could talk about my own band and be like well we've been a band for 20 years and we don't have a hit song but what about the the thousands of other great bands that i know that have amazing songs who pour their heart and soul into them right. and then a song like this by magic <laughs> With an exclamation point, of course. Absolutely, yeah. Why do they get to have this giant song? Why, wh- who who spent all this money to make this happen? You know, I did my research on it because, yeah, I had heard that this was just like some producer who, you know, what whatever, had an in. and But the band, I guess, actually is a band from, and they're from Toronto, the reggae capital of the world, of course. Yeah, of course. And I do believe this was their first album. So, yeah, that that always kind of just like rubs me the wrong way. But that being said, I can appreciate a great song if it, you know, if it is a great song. Yeah. If it and, but I think this inarguably like I've you know me, like I'm not a hater. I, I can usually, I, I think all tunes are usually created equal and I can find the value in just about any tune. This one was a struggle for me out the gate. And I almost feel, I almost feel guilty when, you know, this, this program one hit thunder started coming together. And obviously I was very interested in being a part of it. And, you know, other episodes I've listened to, like you brought up SR 71. I think the, the last one I listened to was uh shout out Matt for uh doing that interview uh, with, with the guy who was very clearly passionate about the song right now by SR 71 <laughs> and the band's back catalog. This is 
we just need to tell the heads out there that this is not the case with this song. I think we're we're going to be very critical about Rude and Magic, and you know, it's uh, I know it's it's dark times. This might not really bring a glimmer of hope to your day, but we'll see. Well, the fact of the matter is that we're not here to um, <laughs> we're not here to just sing the praises of awesome songs. That's going to happen sometimes. Sometimes the songs are just going to be amazing songs, and the artists are going to be incredible. They just uh, Matt just recently did an episode about Devo. Of course, you're going to rave about Devo. They were uh, innovative and wild, and they got they got huge off of us off of the song "Whip It," which is the most yeah. eccentric, artsy, strange hit single ever. And like, of course, like that band pushed the boundaries of like. But now we're talking about magic, and uh, this is just kind of the opposite of that. It's very contrived. I will I will say that. I did ironically embrace this song. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, yeah. At the time of this song's peak, I don't know if it was the song's peak or my peak, but at the time I was getting ready to get married and the song was, the song addresses a guy. So basically the story of the song is the guy is talking to the woman's father and saying that he's going to marry the girl whether the father approves of the man or not anyway yeah which i could imagine the father saying so you're so what you're telling me is you're you're a man from toronto in a reggae fusion band uh (laughs) and you want to marry my daughter (laughs) so regardless of my approval or not yeah like which i mean you might be about to jump into this but like let's let's get down to brass tacks and talk about how like it's kind of problematic in theme and like not progressive at all that like maybe if the story of the song was leading up to this woman being like you know what you guys are both kind of knuckleheads you don't get to decide my future i'm not gonna marry you i'm not gonna listen to my dad i'm gonna (laughs) i'm gonna go out and like found like this huge tech startup and and leave you guys in the dust but alas that's not what happens in the song right and 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 to get to take even a step further he he he's gonna marry that girl i know a lot of i know a lot of women out there aren't gonna be too thrilled about the fact that this full grown man is marrying a girl. <laughs> uh, but that's neither here nor there. That's a, that's a whole other conversation. Girl saying girl in songs is um, I don't see that ending anytime soon. And to be honest, like there's a lot of songs I like that say girl. So I, I can't really get too down on that aspect of it, but especially yeah. worth noting uh, up to that point, like I, I crunched the numbers here and our, our protagonist in the song Nazari is he was born in January 1981, thus making him like basically your age and a yes. few years older, older than myself. So like definitely aged out of it being cute at that point to be like, you know what? I don't care what anyone says. I'm going to marry that girl. So, you know, that stuff aside, I, I, I will say that in my ironic embracing of this song, I was about to get married and had an engagement party <laughs> and I got, like I can't believe I did this but I think it was just a nerve-wracking situation not nerve sure. just more like anxious and drank a whole lot and to the point where I don't even remember this but at some point I sang this song to my future father-in-law <laughs> wow. and uh yeah and and I don't remember doing that and yeah apparently it was it was funny, but I, I don't remember that. But that was, uh, you know, 
It was 2015, man. Times were different. We were all listening to Fetty Wap. It was definitely good times, though. It was good times that I didn't know that I was living in. It was good old days that were happening in real time. And uh, Absolutely. But, I mean, I guess to paint it in a more positive light, like you realize you there was probably that boardroom of record executives when the song was coming together, like at like the whiteboard, like connecting the dots, like, no, like this is seriously, this is the kind of song that a guy can get super drunk at his engagement party (laughs) and sing to his in-laws. And like, you know, no one's going to like really look into it and dig up the layer of how the song's actually like a little bit problematic. I think, you know, that's what they're banking on. And, you know, you're probably one of, hundreds maybe thousands of guys that did the exact same thing what i think is interesting about like that whole element of it i've seen you know and by i've seen i mean like obviously i read the wikipedia for this song the the majority of the research i did about like the backstory to it but there's of course criticism of it there's praise of course but like a lot of the criticism is of course that like the theme of it, uh, and I think Time Magazine actually called it the worst song of 2014, which is <laughs> pretty incredible. Like the total opposite of like being person of the year would be being proclaimed the worst song of a year. That's pretty awesome. But a lot of people said that it's like the underlying theme is interracial relationships and marriage. And as someone who married into Latinx culture, my experience was nothing like this. I'm happy to say like there, there was no, there's, there's a little, I think dig in this song that like, I don't relate to for that reason, but like I've kind of noticed where one of the lyrics is the dad says tough luck, my friend, which is pretty funny. But I have noticed that like, you know, living in like a predominantly uh, Latin American part of like Los Angeles for about six years now, I've noticed that my friend sometimes is like kind of like a little like diss that that people like to throw out. Like or one time there was like a, like an older an older guy that had parked in front of our last apartment and like our landlord had haphazardly just like thrown up like a no parking sign and been like, yeah, no one's going to take your spot because I put up this sign. And like there was a moment where I got so sick of people taking that spot that I went outside and I just told the guy like, Hey, you know, like there's this no parking sign. So if, if you could respect that, like, and I'd like you've parked there a few times and he hit me with the, <laughs> my friend, this is a city street. <laughs> and technically like that sign is completely meaningless. And I was just like, damn it. He's completely right. And he hit me with the, my friend. So like, what, what do I do? And I feel, I feel like, you know, if I'm, if I'm Nazri here and I'm not respecting that, my friend, like that's, I think a little bit of, privilege gates here i don't know i don't really know the background of this band too much but basically they are a bunch of white guys right i don't know i mean we really want to break that canadian obviously screams white first and foremost but toronto is an extremely diverse city true i think i think nasri is you know a very like has a rich cultural background there's no doubt there his appearance it's very like keanu reeves or like Adam Driver kind of dude. Okay, well, I... as a front man, he's it's almost like he's he's the zoomies to Brandon Boyd's Pacific Sunwear, if that makes sense. Okay, yeah, <laughs> that makes sense. I I just uh, 
I was wondering more about the aspect of I, I believe you told me that this correct me if I'm wrong. Did you tell me this is one of the biggest reggae songs of all time? Yeah, I went back to research that a little more and it's only the second reggae song to top the Billboard Hot Digital charts. The only other one was our boy Sean Kingston with Beautiful Girls in 2007. Such a jam. Absolutely. But also opens up another like box of it being problematic to where it's like, yeah, why do these guys get to chart as reggae? And fast forward, you got Lil Nas X a few years later when Billboard's like, nope, not a country song. Shut it down. Right. So it's like, Billboard, for real, you're going to let these Canadian fellas chart handsomely as a reggae track. And then you're going to shut down Lil Nas X years later. It's like something smells up to me. I can't really pull the cultural appropriation card on magic because I think music's music. And if you're inspired by something and, and you want to play it, that's great. As long as you're, you know, paying respect to where it came from. And it's not there. It's, it's honestly, it's not the band's fault. If the song was big, like that, they're not going to be like, no, we can't do like, that's not like on them. You know, I like reggae. I've played reggae. I, I, I think, I think it's, it's cool style of music. You have actually played, performed reggae. I feel oh, like yeah. I've, I've known you as a musician for over 20 years now. And I, I don't recall. Well, when I say that definitely at band practice, definitely, definitely have little influences of it in punchline songs for sure. Like definitely ska and reggae influences like crazy. I don't think that that's, a bad thing you know i don't think it's bad that sublime played reggae music you know like like you're saying i don't think i don't think it's on magic that they would chart in in reggae and that's not really that important i guess in the in the grand scheme of things but you're right when it when then Lil nas x comes along and uh <laughs> there's an issue about him charting in country music then that that does seem like that's an issue but uh i don't know Hi, this is Chad Nicefield. And this is Justin Press. We're the host of Making Waves, the Shiprock Podcast, a part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. We're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment. Every week, we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist. We'll have lots of special guests along the way, so tune in every week. Your stateroom is available every Monday morning, so welcome aboard. Bowie, Dylan, Marley, you've heard the names and maybe you've heard their songs, but what about the stories behind the records that made titans of music like these so universally loved and important? Join me, Josh Adam Myers, host of The 500, as each week I go through a different album from Rolling Stone Magazine's 500 Greatest Albums list from 2012 with an incredible lineup of comedians, actors, and musicians talking about how the music has impacted their lives. New episodes of The 500 come out every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Do you think know, if I'm you not... really if you really peeled back the layers, there was like a moment in Toronto where like Magic was that band practice and you know maybe they were a pop punk band previously and just sort of like someone started dicking around a little bit on on the guitar, playing some much upstroke guitar, you know, the the drummer kind of hits it. Uh, reggae has that distinct like drum fill where it sounds like someone just dropped a trash can and somehow yeah. it sounds really cool. So like maybe yep. someone did something like that. And it was like that part in like every music bio pick where like the big song comes together and someone just like, what was that? And they like, like, I don't know. I was just, you know, kind of messing around. Like I was trying to move this trash can. Like, they're just like, 
do it again. And that's how like rude came to fruition. Like, Oh no, like we're, we're reggae now. Like we, we figured it out. Now we're, we're going to be fucking huge. Yeah. I, I, I think that maybe it was possibly it was, Hey, music comes around in cycles. It's been 20 years since sublime Santeria or whatever, you know? Right. So now it's time for this again. And you know, it, it doesn't, it seems it's, we could be way off, but it seems very contrived. It seems whatever, uh, 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 just saying that from the, the sound of the song. And then I listened to the rest of the album. There's about four or five roods on it. <laughs> yeah. Like songs that are like that. There are some like more punk songs on it, but roods definitely interesting. This, the standout song on it. I listened to it and it's, it's, if it was on, it wasn't like unbearable or whatever. It's, it's fine. It's fine. It sounds Sonically, it sounds good. The musicianship's fine, like you said. Like the the dude's perfectly good singer. Definitely lacks any sort of emotion or whatever. It's more just like totally very safe music. Um, not pushing any boundaries. Just kind of like, oh, this sounds good. And I wouldn't necessarily drag the band because of that, you know. But I will. When I looked into them some more, I will drag them because of what I sent you earlier today, which was what I believe is their most recent single, which is called, the name of the song is hashtag Sunday fun day. Yeah. And I I will say that it's probably the worst song I've heard in 2020. I'm trying to think if I've heard, if I've heard a worse song, but it is the epitome of let's try to take a phrase that people say and turn it into a total piece of trash song and see if we can like find a way for people to use it in like commercials for pizza rolls or something like it is yeah. just <laughs> straight garbage. It is like, it, it, it is. Yeah. There's no way that if the members of rude were here right now, that they could win an argument with me about like there being some sort of like, meaning to that song or, so, or or what's good about that song there's there's nothing good about it um no you're it, it, you're it, alarmingly accurate in your take on it and mind you you sent me that playlist or you sent me that song specifically i'd listened to the playlist as it was assembled over the past couple months like once and then revisited this morning but like that song was the first thing i experienced this morning i was like oh my god like this you're talking like well, we can, you know, you can pick parts of root out that like work and are, are inviting. This is truly Sunday hashtag Sunday fun day is a bottom five song I think I've ever heard in my life. And this is coming from someone, like I said, all tunes bring something to the table. All tunes can be good. This is not one of those tunes. Can I read you a few lyrics from it? Please. Another manic Monday praying for the week to go by while Jimmy's at the golf course smoking on a cuban delight now money money we all gotta make it yeah but right now i could use a vacation i wish it was a sunday sunday fun day a monday to monday sunday fun day i wish it was sunday sunday fun day a monday to monday sunday fun day it's like the equivalent of the offspring making like the uh pretty fly for a white guy or why don't you get a job except minus the credibility that the offspring had as being like an independent skate punk band. 
this band yeah. just was this band was a corporate whatever put together thing from a record label that millions of dollars were put behind and then in the end what they had to do was make sunday fun day yeah this song is frustrating to me on quite a few levels everything you pointed out plus things so this was their follow-up single in 2015 that's kind of like the okay we did it last year we're gonna do it again so they're putting this out there in into the you know into the musical atmosphere um i'd never heard it until this playlist however i can't help but think that you know this is 2015 we're going into the most insane and you know like what will go down is like the most unfortunate and scary election cycle of all time magic releases this song that's basically about like hey working sucks like i just want to be on vacation all the time you can so wait you're you're <laughs> you're arming pundits on both sides to be like you have this insanely progressive candidate in bernie sanders it's so easy to point a finger at the socialist movement like if we allow this to happen if this happens you're gonna have these chain wallet wearing wide rail cords pants wearing guys just lounging about listening to magic not doing any work and you know you think things are all fine and good in canada well canada made this song and you know if this is what you want socialism this song is what you're going to get and i can't help but think we're still paying for that to this day that was like one of the first things that came to mind when i listened to that song this morning do you think that it's possible that republicans were the ones who put the money into trying to promote magic in Sunday Fun Day? I mean, I don't think it's just possible. I think at this point, it's very likely. I never even thought about that before. Yeah. I mean, I think we're waking up the audience to uh, quite an issue here that, that Sunday Fun Day created. I've, my mind is blown at the moment, actually. Uh, yeah, but I, I can't really imagine that a song like Fu Sunday Fun Day will ever happen again. Or for that matter, is a song like Rude going to happen again now that we're living we're living in the the current and and then maybe by the time someone's listening is hopefully living in the post-coronavirus world where things are going to be a lot different. Yeah. And, you know, people are going to have been going, have gone through and be going through a lot of dark times. I just don't think a song like Sunday Fun Day is going to happen. I don't even know if will you, will you still have songs that start with a hashtag? Will you still will reggae come back around again? I don't know if these kind of things can happen in a post-coronavirus world. And I'm I'm looking forward to the artists that are going to make music that was inspired by what's happening or was written while you know this world where you know for all we know things could ne never be the same again at the while we're recording this i don't i don't know i just th see insanity yeah I, I can't believe we're already to the point where uh there's a backlash of people that just are basically like a saying that the, the virus is fake you knew that was going to happen so fast uh, oh absolutely yeah you know or b saying that you know well if it's going to cost a million, two million people. Well, that's what we got to do because basically gotta... tough luck, my friend. Right. <laughs> that's, that's where we're at, you know? So, uh, I'm looking yeah, we are, to... we're staring down the barrel of a whole lot of tough luck, my friends. I hope it doesn't go that route. Um, 
and I, but I could see like there's going to be such a like mass rush to get back to to quote unquote normal, which obviously wasn't so great anyway. Um, that you know there could be the Sunday fun days and roots that are pumped down our throat to just be like, remember everything's great again. Like get out there, spend money. You know what I mean? Like so, on, it could go one of two ways. Like everything could be, like, like kind of post nine eleven. Like things like imagery music like everything was kind of somber for a bit i kind of feel like there's going to be gatekeepers uh, in the entertainment at this point it's like no none of that like we need to remind people that like everything is totally cool and normal and for that here is you know a baker's dozens of roots as your summer <laughs> singles and and for that here is still rude by magic the sequel oh man uh, <laughs> if and, we could be so lucky you know as we move more and more into this dystopian Orwellian world, I could see that. Yeah. The people that have the money and are in control who for some reason, you know, while the world is suffering for some reason, they make money. Then those people just making it. So yeah, everything's sunshiny. Everything is, everything is great. Here's this, here's some more reggae. Here's some more. It's not actual reggae that with political protest or, uh, you know, emotion or heart. This is, uh, reggae by Canadians, uh, and it's it's about um, asking permission to leave your job early to go to right. happy hour. It's called hashtag happy hour. <laughs> so, yeah. So that could be where we're headed, and that is scary. That is scary. I hope that artists will continue to push the boundaries. As we're recording this yesterday, that new Fiona Apple came out. It's I feel like it's an album that pushed the boundaries. It's like absolutely wild yeah. and. It's and and I hope that we're gonna hear a lot more Fiona's and a lot less Magics as we move forward. Do I did some some research on on Rude on the Genius.com page, right. and it does call out like I guess Ryan Seacrest had interviewed our hero Nazari about the song at like the peak of its popularity and kind of asked like so what happened like what you know what's the follow up like you you asked you you know you basically went against his father's wishes like kind of took it as like it's it's a true story which as you know many songs are not nazari responded you know there is no part one or part two it was kind of a crazy idea that ran through my head the song actually started off really dark it's like why you gotta be so rude i was in a fight with a girlfriend so then we ended up flipping it being like eh let's make it about some dad I thought that so it's but like so like I was saying like I think the coolest part of the song is the hook the why you got to be so rude part apparently somewhere there is a very dark version of this song that <laughs> that didn't see the light of day that I think we there could be a whole nother like podcast or like true crime type series of uncovering the original dark dark, dark rude. rude yeah <laughs> I want to I, I would love to I would love to hear dark rude it's not reggae but it's actually um it's a what what's the, what style like, of music is, is dark rude yeah is it like a like it could be anything from like the national right or like it like could real, be like downtrodden, yeah like real downtrodden like minor key or like yeah. shoegaze or like the maybe like the johnny cash hurt cover oh yeah i have to assume it was like that i would love to hear dark rude if any if anyone out there in the biz we're, we're putting out a call to action. Nobody knows what's going to happen in the next few weeks, let alone months. If anyone out there, 
that any like major label publisher can unlock Dark Rude. This is the time to do it. That Nazri, if you're listening, will promise to do if you can supply us with Dark Rude for an episode, we will walk back all the bad things we've said about Rude and about Sunday Fun Day. We'll give you your proper credit and due. You can correct us every step of the way, but we want to hear Dark Rude. But what um, if what if Dark Rude is too messed up? Like, and actually, it's like, it's very detrimental for society for Dark Rude to actually be unleashed into the world. Yeah. It's incredibly possible. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't, yeah. Maybe Dark Rude just went, we went too dark. I can see that. So I, I think it's worth, for like, I, as you know, for five, what, five years now, I've tried to like uncover some stones about Rude and, I wouldn't say I've been successful. I think like ob- obviously the most interesting thing is this finding on the readily available genius.com that like rude has like a dark version, but I, you know, I did reach out to some people that I thought might have some industry knowledge about it. <laughs> I do want to share this feedback from, from my friend, uh, Nick, who was at beats radio at the time, which building the project like beats was acquired by Apple and this product he was building would become Apple music, which is pretty interesting. And his feedback here actually really backs up. I think that the world where there is a dark route out there somewhere, because I, I texted him. I was like, Hey, like, you remember how I was really concerned about that song rude when it first came out? He's like, yeah, of course. And he, I remember him telling me that he was working up in, the Bay Area, like the main Apple headquarters at the time. And apparently Magic came to Apple and performed Rude in the parking lot. So I was like, yeah, like, can you like remind me about that? And he responded, this was like two months ago. He said, yeah, I'm with my Beats friends right now. He said, they definitely played the song in the parking lot at Apple and did a spoken word intro for over five minutes about the true meaning of the song. It was very weird. Definitely not just like a band coming to Apple and playing in the parking lot. To me, that kind of seemed like Nasri's in a place where the song's blowing up. He's at the biggest corporation in the world performing. And he's just like, hey, guys, just give me some time to talk about like the true meaning of the song. And unfortunately, I I mean, maybe we can follow this up with a YouTube deep dive to see if there's any footage out there. But, you know, it's entirely possible the music industry has had it scrubbed from existence. Yeah, I mean, and and it's it is. It is funny that that he wanted to do the spoken word spoken word intro about what the song's about, considering a the everyone knows exactly what the song's about yeah. because you can hear the vocals <laughs> very clearly and it yeah. is very obvious. And b apparently the song is in no way, shape, or form a true story. <laughs> yeah, so, it, there's zero nuance to what the song is about. So maybe it was Nasri being like, "Hey, like you know, everybody thinks it's just this semi-problematic story about like." a woman being a possession. That's not the case. Please, Apple employees, give me, you know, at least twice the amount of time it would take to perform the song to explain it to everyone. Um, I think we that's could really, finding that could be a key to finding Dark Rude for sure. Uh, another funny piece of feedback that is in no way related to the song I got is I texted my boy Jordan last night just to let him know I was going to be talking some Rude and his response was, one of the members of Magic, the bass player, I think, is my friend's landlord. I, th- I just thought it was funny that like Rude amounted to not just L.A. landlord money, 
but LA landlord money for the bassist. Like, think about that. Right. That's like big. Like, not even like Nazri could have an island. That's the kind of thing that if you want your music to be taken seriously, or if you want people to have like an emotional attachment to your music, there's nothing wrong with being a landlord, but maybe not let people find that out because yeah i mean i honestly if someone's in a position in their life where they're a landlord i i don't know i might not want to i might not think i could re relate to them too much because they're a landlord in la and i'm That's assuming semi-successful rock band landlord culture is like a pretty funny thing in and of itself do you know that band waves who i think they might have been on fueled by ramen but like that dude is very controversial band landlord to where like his band's Instagram account was like obviously music related, show related. And he like got like into like the meme world a little bit. And then he just started posting like my new property in Silver Lake is now available. Only $3,500 a month for one bedroom. And people were like, bro, come on. Like, yikes. You're using your band real estate to like basically <laughs> like whitewash an entire neighborhood. Whereas I think. I do feel confident that the bassist from, from Magic is probably a little more low-key about it. I did reach out to see, and I think this is pretty important. Um, it's, it's so far gone unanswered, but I want to know if the dude from Magic is charging rent during the pandemic, uh, which wow. is a whole other controversy. Because if he's not, he's, you know, I'd say he's a pretty good landlord. Yeah, that's true. Uh, that, it, that would be so interesting to find out. And I'll report back. Nice. That, that sounds great. I'm sure everyone's going to want to know. And that, that could really, if that could really influence my opinion of magic. Uh, I'll, yeah. I'll be honest about that. But anyway, I think, I think we've dove deep in, into magic. We always like to say whether we think the song brought the one hit thunder or if it was a one hit blunder. And this is a tough one. This, this is, yeah, this is a really, I'm, I'm very torn on this. You ready for mine? Yeah, I think it's a one-hit wonder, man. That you think credit, you mean cred where creds do? I think you, it. You thought you thought it brought the one-hit thunder. You mean yes, it's most definitely a one-hit wonder. Yeah, but you think it's yeah, one-hit. Yeah, thunder. I'm I'm playing the thunder card on this one, which I didn't think I'd end up at that point going into this, but I think it, in its own really specific way, kind of rules. I, despite all the shit that we've talked i will say that the song has we've been talking about this song for years yeah like we've been, we've <laughs> been we've always brought this song up like you said the chorus is good i mean there's no getting around when something sounds good yeah i definitely hear songs regularly that where i can't even listen to it you know yeah. like it's just like oh this is if it's on i'm fine with it being on you know, and and I might not intentionally put it on, but, uh, you know, I'm going to have to agree that despite all the problems with this song, I, I'm talking everything, I'm still going to have to go one hit thunder. I, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, when it comes on, be it on the radio, in the car or in like a Chipotle restaurant or something, it it still feels like Christmas morning, man. In a surprising turn of events, we have scored this song one hit thunder. <laughs> uh, but absolutely, completely nothing more than that.
it will a with a giant asterisk also yeah. like yeah they they sh after releasing hashtag sunday funday they don't really deserve that title mm, but that no. that is not the song that we're talking about in this episode we're talking about rude and rude as its own thing as a sound that exists is a, a pretty okay sound congratulations magic as for us, I think the next steps is to find uncovered dark rude and hope right. everything shakes out that we can share it with the world. Thanks, Tony, for uh, coming on this episode. You've been a great guest, and I hope that uh, you know we can all um, get through this terrible disease, and and hopefully uh, we could see each other in person again. Because right now, seeing people in person is not an option. Absolutely. I, I hope to be listening to Rude IRL with you in the next two years, at least. Yeah, that'd be cool. This has been One Hit Thunder. One Hit Thunder is produced by Matt Kelly as part of the Geekscape Network and hosted by Chris Fafalios of the bands Punchline, Pack, and Another Cheetah. In honor of Chris's reggae-inspired roots, we're listening to Why from Punchline's first album, How to Get Kicked Out of the Mall. Good luck finding a copy of that, but you can visit punchlion.com for updates as well as news, merch, and future tour dates. Let us know your thoughts on the show by emailing us at onehitthunderpodcast at gmail.com and make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to us on all your favorite podcasting apps. Stay safe out there, and we'll be back next week with another episode of One Hit Thunder. listening to the Geekscape Network. This is the story of Whitney Houston. This is the story of Kurt Cobain. Of George Michael, of Otis Redding, of Amy Winehouse, of Michael Hutchins, Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince. It's a new podcast series. About how they died, why they died, and why we're still talking about them so long after. It's like nothing you've ever heard before. It's storytelling. But it's more than that, because rock stars... They tell us how we feel. They change our mood. They change the clothes we wear, the people we hang out with. The way we remember things. It's them who give us those ludicrous moments, the ones where you're... Jumping around, singing your heart out, feeling understood. And it's those moments we'll help you remember, the ones you're thinking about right now. That feeling. That feeling. It's coming soon. From Crowd Network. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app. And subscribe now. Hello out there! Yes, hello out there, everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. 
So please subscribe to Nimbut the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much. We'll be seeing you.